Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Hello and welcome to Nurses Out Loud. You know, we've been hearing for the last few years how the lions are gathering um, or how the, the mama bears are rising up. And today I wanted to introduce you all to a wonderful mama bear lioness uh, that I had the pleasure of meeting uh, a few weeks ago. And her name is Seek Smith and she's with the mom army. The Mom Army is a survivor-led organization with a mission to activate and unite millions of mama bears and their allies in the battle to stop the war on children and their innocence. Mom's Army's vision is a world where children feel safe, loved, protected, and honored. And in 10 short months since their launch on Instagram, Mom Army has grown to over 25 chapters across America, Canada, the UK, and Australia. And with me tonight is the founder of Mom Army. And you guys are just going to absolutely adore her and her story. Her journey is uh, very unique, but it is one of um, the, the reason why America is the greatest nation on earth. And we need to keep it that way. Seek Smith is a wife married to her high school sweetheart, mother of three incredible humans, a free thinker, a patriot, a fierce warrior for children, and the founder of another organization, the Badass Do-Gooders and Mom and Dad Army. Welcome, Seek. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my God. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. And I mean, from the moment we met and seeing, you know, I'd like to tell people a little bit about like how God does work all things for good. You know, there, there was an event that we were talking about having and my attorney, Ryan Heath from the gavel project uh, said, you, you need to, you need to talk to seek, you know, she's, she's amazing. You guys would really get along. And we had this conversation over the phone and like just became really good friends yeah, like right then amazing. and there. And then we <laughs> met later on the next day and uh, solidified that feeling. And, and so I am so honored and happy that we are on the same side of this fight together. Uh, you know, people know me for COVID and all of that, but really it's like, I'm a nurse and I care about a lot of issues and children are at the forefront. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, you know, I always talk about 
the origins of my meeting with people, you know, and so I always go back to the original. And yeah, I feel like it was just divine timing. We're, we're both at a place in our lives where there's just a lot of things going on. And I think the fight is getting the fight is getting more fierce. Um, it's good. It's good to see so many people rise up. And I followed your journey from day one. I mean, I watched, I was living in Los Angeles, watch your project Veritas, um, you know, segment. And when you were the whistleblower, you know, for the hospital in Phoenix, it was a um, a federal hospital. I remember that. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. And so I've admired you from afar for a very, very long time. And so it was such an honor to meet you in person and to build this friendship with you. So thank you. Yes. Yes. You are absolutely welcome. I love it as well. So, you know, take us back to California, you know, a few years ago, what was going on there? What, what made you want to leave um, and come here to Arizona? Um, so even further back, I mean, my whole entire life has been threaded with the theme of freedom. Um, and that's from my dad's um, background. He escaped genocide and communism in Cambodia. So I always grew up very skeptical and always asking questions and wondering, well, why is this and why is that? And so, you know, I was raising my family in California. L.A. was my life. You know, my husband was born and raised there. We met in high school in Los Angeles at Crenshaw High School. And I um, always thought that I was going to live and die in L.A., you know, like the song said from Tupac. But, um, you know, in the last few years, especially during the COVID lockdowns, I mean, L.A. was one of the most restrictive places in the United States to be. And for me, I was so opposite of what was going on. I mean, I could see clearly that this was all bad and everyone around me was just going along with it. And I couldn't understand. I'm like, how could people not see what's actually happening? And, you know, I did the best I could there. And then um, at some point, my husband's company offered a relocation package. And I actually said no, because I, I this was at the very beginning um, before COVID. And um, and then when COVID hit and all the restrictions, I looked at my husband and and we were coming back to Arizona because his job was asking us to come here once a month. And I saw the difference between coming here to Arizona and going back to L.A. and it was like schizophrenic almost. It was like bipolar. <laughs> you know, one minute I'm like just free and doing whatever here in Arizona. And then I go back to LA and I have to mask up and my daughter, you know, it's just, it was just crazy. It's hard to think back to those moments because I it's so so far removed from my memory at this point. But I remember saying to my husband going at the second lockdown in LA, because the lockdown happened for everybody. And then LA had a second lockdown right around Thanksgiving of 2020. And I said, I can't do this again. Mm -hmm. I refuse to be here. Can you ask your company if the offer's still on the table? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and at that moment, we actually took a trip to Texas to visit my sister who had just bought her first home and I needed to get out of LA. And we were in Texas for about a month and we worked all the details out and his company said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And so we started making plans the following few months to get ready to move to Arizona. So June of 2021, okay. we... Um, we made our move here. Yeah. Yeah. So you you had a, enough of it at that time. I mean, oh, you yeah. were already there for a little over a year. But mm -hmm. I want to take the audience back to Crenshaw. I I just do because <laughs> we're around the same age. Uh, yeah. This is big, like with the hip hop era and um, like Boys in the Hood Friday. This all took place in in the in this area, right in Crenshaw. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, 
want to talk about the street smarts, if you will, because when COVID came out, you had a lot of the African-American community, right? The And the, let's take the African-American community that um, isn't as educated, okay? Um, the ones that are in the hood, okay? And a lot of them, and, and a lot of my cousins still, still live there, right? So not LA, but in Chicago, they were all like, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not taking this. I'm not doing this. And when the government came out or mainstream media, they came out and said that it was either the highest educated, like PhD level, or the lowest educated that was the most skeptical of what they were seeing. And I think street smarts have a lot to play in it, right? Because people can be educated in in books and have letters behind their name, but a lot of them don't know how to act when, you know, the going gets tough. And do you think that your upbringing there, um, as well as, you know, your your background with your dad escaping communism, uh, really had some like, you know, shots firing in your brain, so to speak, like, Uh hey. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think, you know, between, um, you know, I grew up in the 90s at the height of the blood and crip gang war and hip hop. Um, So I was a teenager in the 90s and I actually grew up in the housing projects in Los Angeles. So I don't my family doesn't have the you know successful immigrant story. My parents um, to this day barely speak English. Um, You know, we were on welfare and food stamps, so we were very dependent on the government. But what that did for me was one, I was very appreciative. You know, my my dad fled a war torn country and escaped genocide. But the other part of me was I was so grateful to be in this country and so grateful to have the little bit of opportunity that I had growing up, but I knew one thing. I knew that I was in a country that gave me opportunities and I didn't have to repeat the cycle. So I remember growing up going, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm not staying in the projects. I'm not, you know, and so I always envisioned myself, you know, doing more and doing better. Um, And I did, I just set, set out to do that. And I think having that upbringing gives you the perspective right, of mm-hmm. the possibilities and then also the challenges that that you face and the adversity. And so for me, when it related to COVID, it was really just thinking to myself, like, why is the government doing this? What's Do they have your best interest? Because growing up in the hood, you realize the government does not have your best interest. Right. They say they do, you know, they pretend like they do, um, but you you learn very quickly that the, the government doesn't have your back. And so that's where my skepticism came from. So yes, a lot of my upbringing was let, allow me to fire all of the all of those questions in my head. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and you know, I people talk a lot. You know, especially seeing me blonde hair, blue eyed, white girl, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 they don't understand. You know, I've even had friends had said, "Oh, well, you support Trump or this and that," and it's like, you know, I support what is what good for America. I I believe that we should have food stamps, that we should have welfare. And me, myself, I was on it once when I was 16, once in my 20s, and then again at 35. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I understand that those resources are there to help you, you know, but 
again, I, you know, with half of my family living in the projects and my dad not, you know, uh, moving us outside of there a few miles away that I knew, I knew how to play the system if I needed to. And I think that's a culture that's ingrained, right? You know, but you look at what that system of welfare has done to the 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 minority communities, right? They they told like for me in order for me to get welfare, I had to say that I wasn't living with my husband, right? Absolutely. Because they don't want a, a a mother and father household, and and I saw a good documentary on that. Uh, maybe it was called Uncle Tom with uh, mm-hmm. Candace Owens that they did the how they they brought in the welfare in order to separate the the man uh, emasculate the man because the woman's like I don't need you I don't yeah, need you the go. government yeah yep. yeah 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 I mean and just like you we you know I I growing up it was just like I want to you know do this and get get myself out of this situation but I had to revert back to relying on the system um back in 2014 my, I I was working my career I was a project manager for a, a fashion college in Los Angeles and after 13 years after 14 years um I was fired so I lost my job and then two months right after that my husband lost his job of 13 years so we found ourselves with zero income, you know, with very little savings and lost everything. And we had to revert back to getting on welfare, even though it was briefly, it was so tough because we had like built this life for ourselves and had achieved the American dream. We were living in this gated community. I was driving a luxury car and I was, we were vacationing once a year abroad, doing all, doing everything that I envisioned as a, as a child, you know, of what the American dream looks like. And then everything changed in that moment. Um, you know, but I, I do agree. I, I I am so grateful that we are in a country that has these safety net, you know, safety nets for for those that need to utilize it. But the other problem is there's so many people abusing it, you know, so. Right. So we've got to figure that part out. But yeah, yeah I had to. Yeah, I was, I was in my mid 30s, just like you, and I had to go back on welfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I and I'm not ashamed of it at all. Yeah. You know, I, I actually would like to help people understand what resources they had, you mm-hmm. know, um, instead of me being 16 and divorced with two, well, 20 with two kids, uh, I found out that the government said, if you go back, if you work, we'll pay for your daycare. So I was like, oh, well, then I'm going to go to work and you can pay for the daycare while I do that. Then I found out that if I went to college, that I would qualify for the Pell Grant. And so I went to college and I qualified for the Pell Grant and I was able to keep it moving, you know, and then on top of, you know, the um, head of household money that you can get on your tax returns, um, those types of things. So there, there is a way to get out. And I cannot stand when I hear people say, no, they can't get out. You know, they're so oppressed. You know, um, there, there's just no hope and we have to help them and continue to help them. And I, and it's like, no, we need to educate and empower people so that yeah. they have the confidence to do better and move on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agree. And it, I think, I think we're in a place in this country where 
victimhood is being glorified and and people are able to monetize off of their victimhood status um mm -hmm. as opposed to you know what i grew up with understanding that you know if you work hard and you you look for opportunities that you can really make something of yourself in this country nowhere else can you do that i yeah. that's, that's impossible in where i'm from from cambodia you have to be born into riches you have to be connected to you know very wealthy families or you know be a, a be part of the socialite class and, and the upper class. But here you can be, you know, you can come from extreme poverty like Oprah and make, um, you know, make a really wonderful life for yourself. Yeah, you can. And, and I like how you said about traveling, you know, because when I first got my head of household money uh, and I was shocked that I pretty much almost made enough money or more money than I think it was like $9,000 I made in 1992. And I got, you know, 3000 back from my taxes. <laughs> and then that was a lot of money. And yeah. I remember going to a lot of money now. <laughs> it is right. Yeah. And, and my first trip was going to Cancun. So mm. I think, you know, when we encourage that travel and culture yeah. and experiencing the world, you know, it, it takes us out of our zip code that so many people stay in, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. with, with you traveling and, and wanting to um, see the world, was that just something that you always had inside of you as well? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm a history buff. I love history. I love other cultures. I love food, yeah. the experience of dining and culture, you know, food from other cultures and other countries. So I've always, you know, have gravitated to that. And so we were fortunate enough, um, you know, to make enough money to, you know, to buy a house and we bought our first house when we were 25. Um, you know, we got married and, and all the things. And so, Travel was a really big part of how my husband and I really wanted to cultivate our relationship. And so, yeah, we, we, you know, at the, at the time, and we haven't traveled in a few years now, but at the time, I mean, we did Argentina. That was amazing. I've traveled to Barcelona, um, Costa Rica, mm -hmm. you know, and so, and of course I've been back to Southeast Asia several times to Thailand where my mom is from and then Cambodia a couple of times. So, so yeah, I think travel is a must. Um, it really opens up your eyes, especially when it comes to um, the way other countries live and even the poverty in other countries. We think, you know, we see poverty here and, you know, obviously it's it's really a struggle for people. But then when you see poverty in other countries, it really puts you puts life into perspective. Yeah. 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 One of right. the most impactful trips I made was in 2015 back to Cambodia for a second time. But this time I was on a mission, a trip with a friend who was um on a missionary trip and she has an organization. So I was you know helping her with her organization. But I remember she took me to a landfill um, in right outside of the capital in Cambodia where children live right outside of the landfill and they would rummage through the landfill for food and for scraps to sell. And, you know, you watch these children who are the happiest little children you could ever find. You know, this, they just don't know any different. You know, this is their life. But um, but watching those kids run towards me with no shirt on and barely a pair of shoes and some shorts, but like it's sewage, it smells, it's like it reeks of landfill and, and trash and, but they're smiling and they're happy to see you. And, you know, um, th those type of trips are, I think would be really helpful, especially to young American children. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I think uh, we, we need to um, have our children experience the world and, you know, the, the, 
forget about these Disney trips, guys. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, people would say to me, oh my gosh, how can you afford to take your children to can or to Costa Rica? Mm -hmm. And I was like, because it's cheaper than Disney world. It is. Yeah. Like way right. cheaper. And they don't even understand. It's like, once you find a good plane ticket mm -hmm. and if you're not really caring about, you know, being at a hotel, because whenever I travel, I don't stay in, you know, their resort district, you know, mm -hmm. I try to find, you know, blend in, get, get to know the culture. Um, but well, so tell me, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, what inspired you to create the mom army and, and what exactly, what exactly, um, yeah, just tell me what, what inspired you to create it? Yeah, I think, you know, growing up, I've always been an advocate for those that are being bullied and those that are disenfranchised. So I, I was always standing up for, for other kids growing up. Um, so that's, that's where it started. And my mom was always very, my mom is service oriented. My mom was always in service to other people. So I watched that when people would ask, I, I think the first time I did a podcast some years back, um, the question was who inspired you to do this? And it took me a minute, but then I realized like, oh my God, my mom, my mom was, if someone had a death in the family or they, you know, they had a funeral, my mom would be there three days before the service to help you know, cook or help, you know, guests that were in town and things like that. And so I always watched my mom give so much of her time, um, even though she didn't have a lot of money, it was always about giving up her time and her service and cooking was her lang her love language. Okay. Um, so that was kind of how it started. And then more so, um, I really got connected to the issue of child trafficking. Um, and I, I won't go too much into the story, but I heard a really horrific, you know, case. Um, this was 15 years ago before I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, really horrific case of a nine-year-old that was um, sold by her 15-year-old stepsister for a hundred bucks to five men. I'll leave it at that. The details of that case was really horrific and heartbreaking, and it just shattered my heart into a million pieces. And I just remember telling my husband when I walked into to the house after hearing the story that. I can't unhear this. I can't unfeel this. I have to do something. And that was the start of my journey of fighting, like really, really going into my activism and fighting for children. And so from there, I did everything from, um, you know, gala fundraisers to awareness campaigns, to sitting on podcasts, to sitting on a panel to talk about wherever I can talk about the issue to educate people about what was going on. And it was you know, 15 years ago, people were looking at me like I was crazy, like that can't be happening. Yeah. Right. And now, of course, we people are understanding the issue a little bit better. And it's a lot more um, why well known that trafficking of children, especially sex trafficking is very prevalent and very rampant. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where it started. And then when I moved to Arizona, there was, you know, your like I had the spiritual part of my journey when moving to Arizona, um, you know, the capital being Phoenix. And there was like this constant reminder of like the Phoenix rising. I was coming to Arizona to like start this new journey and leave everything I love and know behind in Los Angeles. Um, and then, you know, very quickly I looked at my husband and I said, something is happening. There is this rampant attack on our children and I can't put my my thumb on. I can't like pinpoint why, like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And I said, it feels like a war on children. Um, and then right after that, my husband looks at me and goes, you know what you, you, you know, you need, you've been very connected to people fighting for children all over the country. I'd done, you know, I 
done protests in Hollywood for Save the Children during COVID, during the lockdown, right after the BLM riots. And my husband said, you guys need a million mom march. You know, it was like kind of his little idea. And I was like, yeah, we need to be more unified. I feel like we're kind of fractured. Everyone's doing wonderful work separately across the country, you know, with their organizations or their initiatives. But what if we just come together with a more unified message and fight this together? So that was really the idea. I started making phone calls and DMing people I knew and said, hey, I have this idea. It started off as Million Outrage Moms and it quickly morphed into Mom Army. But everyone said yes. So we launched Mom Army August 8th of last year in the summer on Instagram with about 100 moms from all over the country. Um, And it just took off. I mean, people were like, yes. This is this is happening. I can feel it. What can I do? Um, And so people were just in a place of we need to rise up. And how do we do this? Where do we start? And so we carved out. And even though there were many parent organizations and mom groups all over the country, I mean, there's Moms for Liberty and Moms for America and other local groups. um, I think what was missing that we brought to the table was we were very unapologetic about how we fight for children. Um, So we get criticism for cursing, we get criticism for being a little brass and, you know, and being a little too bold and too truthful. (laughs) And so, um, so that is very, you know, very important to me to be very authentic um, in how we speak about this. I think for so long, we've been kind of quiet and silent and try not to ruffle any feathers and, and you know, because of our silence, this is why we are in the place that we're in. And so Mom Army kind of carves out that place where moms who are really, really fed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean just moms, just women. You know, there are women who have mama bear energy who don't have children of their own, but feel very strongly about the protection of children. And so, yeah. So, you know, fast forward 10 months later, we've done many protests. We were behind the Balenciaga protests against Balenciaga when that happened right before, right after the Thanksgiving holiday. We organized a nationwide 20 city protest against Balenciaga. Um, we've done other protests against gender clinics. Um you know, school board meetings, you name it, testifying at Senate hearings. Our our chapter leaders have been all over the country fighting. There's a protest tomorrow in North in Charlotte, North Carolina, with Lisa, our chapter leader there, who has been fighting very locally, you know, on the ground against a lot of these all ages drag shows. Anything that's coming after the innocence of children, mm-hmm. um, we don't have a problem speaking up against that. So that's how it all started, and it's just grown by leaps and bounds. Yeah, by leaps and bounds. When we talked, when I uh, did the intro on the show and said about uh, that the the mama bears are rising up, I mean, the, this is a testament to that. It's something that no matter what side, you know, political affiliation you feel that you belong to, um, that we can all agree on is that we need to protect our children. And when we come back from this break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the strategies that you have and the initiatives and, and how you mobilize these women's and uh, women and engage them to, um, to go out there and fight because I believe it, this all starts at the community level and, and people usually have such a big vision. Uh, but really it's truly, um, in your neighborhood, right. Is where you can really start. And so guys, you are listening to nurses out loud. I'm your host nurse, Jody O'Malley. You can find us here 
every day or Monday through Friday, I should say, uh, with a different nurse host daily at 10 a.m. Eastern time and 11 p.m. Um, Eastern time. Uh, that's our encore. And then all of our shows also go to podcast. Make sure that you are listening to all of the shows on Nurse on America Out Loud Talk Radio. If you go into your app and type in America Out Loud Talk Radio, you will have access to 24-7 programming with police officers, attorneys, doctors, uh, constitutionalists, you name it. Um, this is an amazing platform and I am honored to be a part of it. We'll be right back. It's time in this is World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUT. Out loud. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Welcome back, you guys. Thank you for listening to tuning in to Nurses Out Loud. I am here with Seek Smith, who is the founder of Mom Army and also the badass do-gooders. I want to hear a little bit more about that real quick. Yeah. Um, well, before Mom Army, um, I've been very fortunate. You know, I um, do you know when your mom tells you, be careful who you hang out with? <laughs> yes, I heard I that my whole life. Yeah, we we've, we all have. Right. And, you know, sometimes we stray away and we hang out with the wrong crowd or whatever. I really took that to heart. I was like on it, you know, and so I was very intentional with the friends that I had growing up and this, you know, you know, even in high school, I mean, there was some trouble there, but when I be, you know, 
in my early adulthood, I was very intentional because I was a very young mom. I, you know, I had my son when I was 21. So I wanted to make sure that the people that were in my life and I brought around my children were good people. And so very early on, um, I was just always drawn to people who were doing incredible things and who were doing inspiring things and who were very service oriented and purpose driven, even down to my best friend, my, my best friend from, um, she's the, she's my son's godmother. Um, I'll give her a shout out, Shari, uh, Shari Wilson out in California, in Northern California. Um, she was a big inspiration in my life. I mean, this woman would take a homeless, uh, you know, a terminally ill homeless woman into her house, help rehabilitate her. You know, she would um, host uh, drives at her salon. She's a hairstylist, so she would host drives at her salon. I mean, everything she did was about service. And I watched that and I, and it was just always very inspiring. And so it just kind of by osmosis, right? It, 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 you can't help it, but, you know, you know, use that as an example. And so, so yeah, so over the years, I just built friendships with people who were very charitable, very philanthropic, very giving. And um, one day I was sitting um, in my friend's apartment, Cassie, she's an actress in Los Angeles. And um, she was doing all these incredible things. She would skydive and jump out of an airplane, you know, 18,000 feet to raise money for child, tra- you know, to fight child trafficking. Um, she was um, vice president or still is vice president of her organization called Boot to Bullying. She would fight online bullying and suicide prevention. And she was doing all this amazing stuff. And I said to her, this was like summer of 2019. I said, you know, Cassie, I love everything you're doing is so inspiring. You know, you're like a badass do-gooder. And I kind of vomit this phrase out. And she, you know, looked at me and she says, oh, my God, I love that. You should trademark that. And I literally turned around and said, oh, I'm sure I didn't come up with that. I'm sure I heard it from somewhere else. And I kind of left it at that. And two months went by. And then I woke up one morning, almost like an epiphany. And I sat up in my bed and I said, well, what if it's not a thing yet? I should at least look into it. <laughs> and so, so I did. I went online right there in my bed, looked, at, you know, on my laptop and searched. And I'm like, oh, it's not a thing yet. No, you know, and so I grabbed the Instagram, I grabbed the Facebook, I grabbed the website, I did all the things. And I was like, I did come up with this. And um, right away, the concept was to amass um, a community of real life superheroes, because that's what I considered all my friends who were doing this great work, that they were real life superheroes. And it was kind of like this Avenger concept and bringing everybody together to do more good together. So that's how it started. And so Mom Army is just an extension of Badass to Gooders. It's a bunch of moms being, you know, being badasses, fighting for children and doing good. And that's that's really and I'm actually in the middle of getting ready to relaunch Badass to Gooders. So it's it's great that you're asking me about it. Oh, that is great. So where where can people find you that are listening right now? Um, so for Mom Army, it's um our website is mom m-o-m dash so hyphen army.com um badass do gooders is just the acronym b-a-d hyphen g.com i'm doing a whole revamp for both websites so there's a, okay. a lot a lot of new stuff coming um but of course on instagram that's where we live most of the time on social media is on instagram so it's the dot mom army um and then it's badass do gooders um on instagram and then we also have the dad army so the dot dad army yeah, let's not let's not forget about the dads. Let's talk about the dads for a minute. Yeah. How how have they you was it their wives saying, Come on, honey, you gotta do something too? <laughs> 
Well, when we were doing Mom Army, I started getting messages from all over the country and even around the world from men and dads who were like, I a thousand percent support what you're doing. Thank goodness there's a group like yours. But how can we support it? How can we help? How can the dads help? And I didn't know at the time, but, you know, initially the first thing some of the dads would do is they donate to us. Um, and by the way, we're not a 501c3. We're a for-profit company. And that was on purpose. I realized working in the nonprofit world for, you know, 15 years and having friends run nonprofits, how limiting that is um, to run a nonprofit. And I wanted to have an organization that was free to speak without censorship, free to do mm -hmm. things without being told what to do and how to do it and how to say it. So that's the reason why. And I wanted to be self-sustaining. I didn't want to be constantly fundraising for grant money and, you know, donor money just to run this organization. So we, we did it with very little money and we still are pretty much bootstrapping and running the organization with hardly any funding, but I wanted to get us to a place where we can be self-funded. And so that's the reason I want to be transparent about that. So mm -hmm. when the dads wanted to donate, I said, sure, you can donate, but by the way, you can't, there's no tax write-off because we're not a 501c3, but we were so lucky. We had support from people and they're like, I don't care about the write-off. Here's $50. Here's a hundred bucks. Right. Um, and so that's how the dads started to come into, um, you know, into this and then after that, you know, um, I realized that they needed a place. The dads were ready to rise up and wanted to speak up more. And uh, we gathered a few of our husbands and my, my own husband and uh, some of the other husbands within our group. And that's how Dad Army um, was started. So their focus is mainly security for Mom Army, because a lot of times we were out in the front lines at these protests and we'd have Antifa in our faces or we, you know, my husband would go. He's like, you're not going to that protest by yourself. You know, I need to be there because, um, you know, the dads are the protectors and they're the protectors of women and children. Mm -hmm. And so that's one role that a lot of our dad army um, play is to be de facto security and protect us. But the other part, too, is for them to help change the culture and the narrative around strong men and what it looks like, you know, and to promote family values and to promote strong men. Um, so, yeah, so they've they've got some amazing things in the works right now. Some of our dads are out there testifying, you know, and speaking at, you know, school board meetings and at protests and so on and so forth. So they're being inspired by all the moms that are out there. And they're like, we could do it, too. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> right. Yeah. And and it's nice for people to see, uh, you know, and, and the kids. Right. To see, hey, my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. are, are committed to this cause. And this is something that they do together. I think yeah. so often in relationships, you know, um, what happens is people just get complacent. They get comfortable, um, men and women, both, you know, they resign to their schedule men, I think a little bit more than women, you know, men like the predict, uh, predictability of their life. They like knowing that they work seven to three, and then they come home and then they can chill and, and they're lazy boy or whatever, you know, but I think having this, is, having this is um, a focus and something that they can do together and the spirit of servantship with it is just so good for not only your own, you know, spirit, but for your relationship, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I, I think it gives them, you know, something to do. It's like most people that I know that are in a relationship, they don't have any hobbies together. Mm -hmm. And, um, what, you know, they kind of just, they, they just get by in their mundane life. 
you know? Oh, yeah. It's never boring with mom and dad army ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like right now, I mean, you connected me with, you know, we do different events, you know, so different chapters across the country have different events. Sometimes it's gun training. Sometimes it's just a social event at a coffee shop. Sometimes it's volunteer work. You know, it varies depending on what they want to do on the ground, but we're getting ready to plan a gun training event. And you connected me with, um, with the C2 tactical group. So I'm excited for that. And everyone loves that. And that's how we bring everyone together it's through some of these and you know it's great that we have social media but there is nothing like being together in person and and that energy and having that sense of purpose you know together and working on things together so so yeah so we're excited to plan our next events with our dad and mom army together yeah that's that's great so do most of the the mom and dad armies like try to get together monthly yeah. Yeah. We try here because we're, we're based here. So our, the core of our team is here. Our chapter leaders across the country is usually a couple of people and they, they've gathered people before. It's really interesting. You know, when we first started with this, we're like, oh yeah, it's going to be like thousands and thousands of people joining. Sadly. And you know, this probably better than anyone else when it comes to speaking up, it's a scary prospect for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it's a rare few. And a, I call it the, 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 the passionate few that will put their neck on the line and speak up and speak out. And sometimes, you know, we get messages from people who are like, I love what you're doing. I wish I can speak out. I just can't because of this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And so we're always happy to get the quiet supporters too. And we, I, I mean, I understand like how scary it is to have your job on the line, to have, you know, to lose family, to lose friends. Um, and so interestingly enough, across the country, the challenge is always, um, people are afraid to to speak out, you know, boldly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're happy to have the few. Um, it's a small but mighty army for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, what th- we're seeing kind of like there is um, there's a shift. I think there are more people feeling inspired to speak up and speak out than it was, you know, even just 10 months ago. I mean, right. 10 months ago, it was hard to find people who were willing to come to this, but now we're starting to see more people, but, um, but yeah, other groups across the country will do different things. You know, sometimes it's a protest and that's how they get together. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's maybe gathering, you know, um, at, um, you know, at someone's backyard, you know, yeah. so it changes. No, I, I agree with you with that, uh, with, with getting together as a community. Uh, right now I'm in the process of creating a membership community, uh, but my hope uh, and vision for it is to connect women together. You know, I, I, I was connected with, with, um, one of my Instagram followers that I, I did this six week beta course. And after the course was over, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I miss meeting. What are we going to do now? And, and, and that gave me the thought of like doing the membership community. And when I was talking with one of them about it, uh, she was, she was saying, well, what's your vision? And I said, you know, to get women back together, you know, to, to come over and, and, you know, have coffee. And then she started talking to me about how in her downtime, she likes watching old 50 and 60 shows. Mm -hmm. And she really loves, you know, the traditional mom, you know, at home with their children, the, the, you know, being at home, the homemaker and the women coming over after dropping off the kids to school and having coffee. 
And she said she met this one mom um, and they, they clicked and they got along really well. And she invited her over for coffee. And the mom was like, what do you mean at your house? But there's not a Starbucks near you. And she's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like really, uh, how far removed have we, have we become, you know, we talk about social media connecting people, but it really has disconnected us right. in, in a human way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with the mom army and, you know, creating that, um, and dad army coming together and having the community, um, and other people seeing that, see, mm-hmm. this is where I think social media is so powerful because you can go out there, seek, and you can post on Instagram, yeah. your pictures, and then that inspires other people because as humans, we want to connect. We, yeah. we just, it's to connect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're creators by nature. You know, we were made to create, we were made to connect. And that's always been a big, my background is in event planning. And so that piece of me and that part of me, it comes along to everything that I do. And I'll even go back to like COVID in LA. I mean, like three weeks into the lockdowns, I was done. I was like, I'm over this. This is ridiculous. I don't care anymore. I'm going to I'm like life goes back to normal in the Smith household. So I put a call out to all of my friends and my badass do gooders community. And I said, I'm having a brunch. Who wants to join me? And I started getting messages back. So I had 12 ladies in my backyard, like three mm-hmm. weeks after the lockdown. And I remember my, what my one friend goes, do I need to wear a mask? I said, Lindsay, I said, I love you, but if you still want to wear a mask, um, I suggest you don't come to this event, but you know, I still love you. I'll just love you from a distance. (laughs) You know, she's like, no, 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 I I don't want to wear a mask. I was like, okay, then you're more than welcome. So everything went back to normal. And I just remember sitting back there going, this is what's missing. And, and unfortunately with COVID, I mean, that just prolonged and people were so afraid. And I continued to have what we call our social series dinner. So once a month we were doing badass to get his social series dinner in during COVID in Los Angeles, you know, I just was like, I'm not going, I'm not conforming to this craziness that they're trying to inflict on all of us, you know, because none of it made sense to me. And so when it comes to social gatherings, I think it's such, it's, you know, I always say it's a soulful, it's, you know, for me, it's like, I need to fill my soul with a lot of like energy and love and and good people. And that's how you do it. I mean, I love the online stuff, but there nothing replaces in-person connections, nothing. That's right. Nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I we were, I was going to talk about some other things, but I, I want to really touch on how do we get women and even men to, to understand that we have to speak our truth. That, you know, to live in this fear, I, I, you know, just to be honest, a hundred percent, I get messages like that as well. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. You know, you're courageous. I love you. May God bless you. I wish I could do the same, but I can't because of this, this, and this. Now I, I had those same excuses you had those same excuses that you could have drawn from, right? I didn't want to leave my job. I, you didn't want to risk, you know, um, you know, getting arrested in LA for having a, a backyard barbecue July 4th yeah. with more than- Oh 10 yeah, they were, ta- they were telling on you. I mean, you know, 
Garcetti was like, if you have more than six people in your house, call us, tell on your neighbors. I mean, that's how bad it was in LA. Yeah. Yeah. They were doing the same in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to me, I, how do we get people to lean and are, are you, do you have faith? Do you believe in Jesus? Um, you know, I grew up Buddhist, you know, I, my mom, my mom and dad are both about Buddhist. Um, my husband grew up Christian. Um, so we bring a lot of our religious, you know, upbringing together. Mm-hmm. And we've always agreed that we would always be grounded spiritually. I do believe that there's a higher being. I do believe there's a God. I, I pray, I meditate, I do all of that. Um, so yes, I mean, I think that's what, that's, what's missing. Yeah. You know, we're kind of living in a godless society, in a society that is not grounded in spirituality. And that's why people are so confused and so um, are, are, are living in fear constantly yeah. because they, they don't have this faith. Right. They don't have faith that th- that things are always going to turn out OK. Right. right. And um, and it doesn't help when you have a government and you have a system and a society and entertainment and big tech and everybody else telling you all these things and to live in fear. Um, but I think to go back to your question is that in order to activate people, I think people really need to take a step back and look inwards. Right. Look inwards into what are your core values? Mm-hmm. What's important to you? And until you start digging deep and asking those serious questions of yourself, because for me, my core value is to leave a better world for my children. That's a big, what is my legacy? Mm-hmm. You know, how, what, when, when I'm long gone, what are my children or my grandchildren going to say about me? Yeah. Not what the world's going to say about me, not what, you know, is going to be written up about me or, you know, or anything like that. But what are my children going to say? Mm-hmm. Are they going to say they had a mom who stood up when things got tough? Are they going to say they have a grandmother who fought for them so that they can have a be- that's 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 what I think about. And I'm hoping that people will take a moment to ask themselves those type of questions. Well, that's right. So so the question is, is what is important to you? What is your core value? And if you answer any of that with things of the world, you're on the wrong track. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, if it's to provide a home, um, to, you know, to have your kid attend Catholic school or, you know, a private school that you have to work hard for, or all of these things, if that is, if, if the things of this world are guiding you, you're going to be disappointed every time over um, and over again, over and honestly. over again. And, yeah. and I think, you know, with where we're at in the world now, you know, and I, and I talk to people all the time, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Yeshua, but I believe at this time in the world, like the remnant is gathering, Right. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be people from all walks of life. So leave your judgment at the door. You know, don't think, you know, that your ways are are better than somebody else's ways, because the only one that has ways above our ways is God, period. Mm-hmm. You know, his thoughts are above our thoughts. His his ways are above our ways. And and and, and it's really coming together in that spirit of humanity and love and collaboration and community and seeing how you can help your neighbor, how you can help your community. Um, and, and I guarantee you, I mean, you will never be disappointed doing the right thing mm-hmm. ever, Agreed. ever, 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 100%. ever. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. matter what, what attacks come at you, no matter how 
how much the enemy just wants to fight and say, you know, try to stop you and paralyze you with fear. You will never, ever, ever be better off doing the wrong thing, right? Or nothing yeah. than what is laid on your heart to do. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can, I sleep good at night. I do because I, I'm doing the best I can. Um, I do what's right. Um, I do what I feel is right and just, and especially, you know, my focus is children. It always has been and always will be, you know, my group always says they, we always say, this is the hill we will die on. And it is, it's the hill we will die on. And, you know, to, to see what's going on and do nothing, it's just not an option. Um, because it's very blatant, it's brazen, it's in, it's in our faces constantly mm-hmm. at the schools, you know, um, on entertainment. I mean, wherever you're looking, if you don't even have to pay attention as much as say you and I do with all of these issues, you just have to look around you and you will yeah. see that things aren't quite right. But the question is going to be what, what, you know, what do you plan to do about it? And everybody has a way to contribute. It, you don't have to go start an organization like I did and, you know, do anything like that. But you could do one thing each day that can really impact. And it could start just immediately in your home. Like, you know, for me, I, we always talk about it in our group is how do how are we raising our children? Are we raising little warriors that are going to be able to stand up for what's right? That's what we plan to do. And so we actually empower a lot of our parents in our group. We do trainings. We do leadership trainings. We bring experts in different areas to talk to our group about how, you know, how to empower yourself, how to empower your children. And that's how we start to shift things. And that's how we start to change it. Yeah. You know, we're, we're almost out of time, but seek, uh, share a success story from the work that the mom army has done. Oh my God. Yeah. There's quite a bit, you know, when you talk about enemy, I want to bring that up too, but, um, you know, initially we, you know, there's protests that we're doing. We recently in San Diego, our San Diego team, um, worked with Aaron Friday from the group Our Duty to protest the endocrine society, the pediatrics endocrine society. These are the doctors that um, prescribe puberty blockers to children. Um, and so we we were there uh, about, it was just a few weeks ago, maybe about three weeks ago in San Diego for that. So those are the type of things that our group does to bring attention to the issue in a very specific way. You know, I, I don't I don't believe in just protesting for the sake of protesting. It has to be really targeted and really have a goal in mind. Um, so things like that, our protests are very successful. Um, we, we do really well on social media with, you know, documenting and sharing what we're doing. Cause that's how you help inspire people to yeah. stand up too. They, they see an example of it. They're like, wait a minute, I can do this in my city where well, I can go talk to my city council. Um, so that's, you know, that's one active thing that we do. Obviously we have been, um, some of our leaders have been testifying at Senate hearings for bills that are being passed. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, specifically, Landon Starbuck, who's on our advisory council, um, testified for uh, several bills there that was passing to stop the mutilation and sterilization of children. Um, it's being challenged in court right now. There's actually lawsuits, um, even though the bill has, has passed and made into law in Tennessee. So those are some of the successes on the legislative side. Um, we work here with um, my friend Kaylee Kozak, who has Kaylee's Law. We're working with her um, to pass that law across the country in all 50 states. Um, so that's a lot of behind the scenes work that we do legislative wise. Mm-hmm. Um, we also are working on litigation stuff. So with our friend Ryan Heath, yeah. um, we are supporting him with Sage's 
lawsuit with the gavel um, project with the gavel project so yeah so ryan is a is a legal partner of ours and so we understand that you can protest to your face turn blue you can testify to your face turn blue and you can speak at these school board meetings um but where I think where the rubber hits the road is you sometimes you have to sue the crap out of people. Mm-hmm. And that's when things can really start changing. So we understand the power of law, lawfare, litigation, yeah. um, you know, strategies. And so that's um, we are also behind a, um, a father named Adam Vina, whose ex is transitioning their four year old son to being a girl. And so we're working with him and fighting that and making sure that we save Aiden from being medicalized for any reason. I mean, the good thing he's, he's turning five. So we have a few more years. You technically can't prescribe puberty blockers till they're about eight or nine, Mm -hmm. but even then, you know, um, uh, so working on cases like that to bring visibility to the issue and to bring changes, um, you know, we did an IG live with Adam yesterday and I said, you know, yes, we're trying to save Aiden, but there are going to be thousands of Aidens out there That's that right. are, you know, that parents are going to lose custody of because they're not affirming the gender transition yeah. um, and laws are being passed in California and Minnesota and Washington and Oregon to medically kidnap children from the from the protective parent who's not going along with this stuff. Um, And so those are the issues that we really try to bring attention into the forefront of a lot of parents. People don't really understand how serious things have gotten. Um, So yeah, so when I say you could lose custody of your child, I I absolutely mean that. If your child runs away from Arizona and goes to California and they decide to transition, you have no rights anymore. They can transition your child and the state will take over. Uh, Guys, SB 107. What is it? SB 107 in California. In California. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope you guys are inspired. I, I truly hope that this um, hearing Seek's story and seeing what she's done and what how she's created and what's out there. I mean, it's out there, guys. It's, it's already done for you. All you have to do is, is uh, get engaged, right? Yeah. Uh, courage takes action. Everything our confidence, increasing it takes action. It takes one time for you to be taking an actionable step. And trust me, I guarantee you and promise you that your courage and your confidence will just start soaring and, yeah. and you won't be a fearful. You won't be living in a less than state of mentality. You will just know that all things that are done according to God's purpose will be for good. Right. Mm-hmm. And in yeah. everything that Seek is talking about, love, truth, you know, speaking it is is for that purpose. And so thank you for joining me, Seek. Uh, this is oh Nurses God, Out Loud. Yes. Uh, this is Nurses Out Loud. We are five nurses brought together, bound by ethical principles and on our mission to protect the heart, soul, and mind body of humanity. The last three years have changed us in different ways. Evil ran rapid, but it has been exposed. We are five strong nurses, not afraid to engage in this battle. We want to empower and encourage others to do the same. We are in a war for truth. We're putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily. No topic is off limits as we shine our light and expose the darkness. It's time